This is the Wow Show, and I'm your host, China Myers. today with a very, very empowering guest, um, LaBronda. Oh man, I am so glad to have you. Um, this is unbelievable because you are the most remarkable person I think I've ever met. I mean, seriously, you, I've not met you face to face except for on the show right now. But wow, when I read your story, I was taken aback. I, I really was. I'm not going to lie. And some of the stuff you did, I had to look it up. I was like, what the heck is that? I don't even know what that is. But yeah, um, you have done a lot. And how old are you? I am 53 years old. You don't mind me asking. Okay. <laughs> well, you look like you're 23. But um, that that's how I go black don't crack, you know. <laughs> I am so glad to have you. I really am. And you... Um, Wow, I just I'm just gonna get right into it and start asking my questions. I'm excited to hear all the answers, although I know some of them, but just you know what was in your head a lot of times, what were you thinking? How did the job of teaching cultural diversity and physical training instructing come to you? Well, um, for the listeners' sake, I was a Fort Worth police officer. Um, and had been for years at that point. And um, Fort Worth, Texas, right? Fort Worth, Texas. Uh huh. Okay. And I was, I ended up getting assigned to uh, the police academy for a while to work with recruits, new recruits who were in the academy. And um, at some point, I don't remember how it happened, but there was a need for a cultural diversity instructor at the time. And so the lead instructor came to me and he asked me, what did I think about teaching? And I said, I'd love to do it. Um, had never taught before. Um, so I, you know, that was, that was kind of my first take on teaching anything yeah. at all. And, wow. you know, so as a trainer, you know, a physical trainer, that's one thing in the academy, but actually standing in the classroom, putting lessons together, that was something else. So, of course, I had to, you know, learn to do the research and and come up with some things for for the uh, cadets. But that's kind of how that came about. I don't like to say by chance because I know God is in control of everything. Amen. And so I took, the, you know, at the moment, at that moment, I took that as an opportunity to build upon. 
And um, I just worked down at the academy, continued to teach cultural diversity. And I did that. I actually did that for a short period of time, maybe a year. Um, and then I was transferred to what they called background investigations, where I completed uh, background research on people who applied for police jobs. And okay. so I would do their background research, search their, you know, go through, they would fill out their packet and I would go through and research everything to prepare them for the next step, which was the interview for the police job. Well, first of all, um, thank you for your service. I mean, thank really, because you. You, oh, you, you, you personify the words civil servant, you really do. Um, now, what did, what does that mean, cultural diversity? I know what that means, you know what that means, but for somebody who doesn't know what that means, what does that mean? Well, of course, we live in America and, and there are so many different cultures in this country. Uh, people, nobody came, nobody's ancestors came from this land. Everybody came from somewhere else, right? And so- Amen. Cultural diversity, the push at the time was to make us more culturally sensitive to other people and their backgrounds, um, it, more accepting to the cultures that these young officers were going to deal with as they get out into the streets. And for me, that was a that was a major um, that was a major thing. Being a black woman that was a police officer and and teaching diversity. Exactly, teaching diversity because I saw how a lack of understanding um, by some officers and mainly our Anglo officers caused problems on the street in how to interact with certain people. So because they're not aware how to do it, right? Right. So understanding the different cultures, um, understanding that if a person uh, of a certain culture is looking down as you're speaking to them that that is not being disrespectful in their culture. That's how they respect you. So that's a form of respect. Those, yeah. yeah, learning those small things go a long way um, in police work because I always say police work is nothing more than having good social skills. If you know how to use your mouth and the tone you can de-escalate just about anything. There's always exceptions oh, yeah. to the rule, but if you know how to speak to people and you know how to pull them in uh, with, without being threatening when it's unnecessary, um, th there's so much you can do in that role. And so that was yeah. important to me to be able to teach people how to go out and reach other people. Yeah, well, hey, guess what? Here's a job for you because you can go all over the country doing that. I mean, you could teach so many people so many things in so many, you know, uh, states and, you know, cities, definitely, because that is lacking in some places. I mean, especially you might get these little small municipalities and, you know, they got, you know, maybe 2,000 people in the city and, you know, they, they might have some diversity there you know, where they might need that training because maybe that uh, those other cultures just came. Maybe they weren't there, you know, because I moved to a town um, in Shenandoah called Shenandoah, PA, and my family was the only black family. You know, um, I actually trained them. <laughs> you know, my, my family actually trained those people that were very nice people. I met a lot of nice ones, 
but how to interact with us. You know, I taught them things like, hey, you don't say that. That's not cool. Right. You know, but um, they were used to being a certain way. And, and you know, they had to be told that, hey, that's not that's not acceptable in my culture. You know, um, we're not all video hoes and, you know, um, stuff like that. So it's like they had never really met black people before. And basically, um, and this is no lie, uh, what they thought of black people were portrayed on TV, you know, and that's fictional. You know, a lot of those stories are fictional, you know. But anyway, um, yeah, so you did, I'm sure, an incredible job. You also, right, your faith. You have so much faith, I can tell. I, I could just tell by looking at you. I could tell by the way you talk. Um, is your faith paramount to everything you do in life? Everything. Um, I, I can tell you that becoming a police officer at the young age of 22 years old in a major city, Fort Worth, Texas, that had the highest crime rate in the nation at that time wow. and working in uh, the, the neighborhood that had that highest crime rate that really helped me to build my relationship with God. God is the only thing that got me out of that career alive and without hurting or killing someone else. Um, I, I really believe that my faith grew um, as a believer while I was doing that job because my life was on the line so much. I had nothing else. There were times when God was the only one I could call on to save me in certain situations. Nobody else was there. So my faith is a major um, aspect in my life. And um, my relationship with God, I, I mean, it goes back to, to birth, I guess you could say, because I was raised in church. Um, the first time I was baptized, I was 11 years old. And of course, at that age, you don't have like a real understanding of it. But of course, the Bible says you raise a child in the way that they should go. They won't depart from it. So, of course, when I got older, I ended up, which this this was not in this information was not in my uh, it's not on my resume. However, I ended up becoming a minister and an associate pastor at a church for it for some years. Uh, my father uh, who we lost last year, unfortunately, he was a pastor. Sorry. Thank I'm you. Sorry. Um, so, and, and I grew up around, um, I have uncles that were pastors and bishops. So, um, faith and worship was a part of my life. And when I became an adult and got into law enforcement, I really had to, I, it, I think as children or as young people, we hold on to our parents' faith. However, when I got into that position as a police officer, and there was, I couldn't hold on to mama's faith or daddy's faith. I had to, I had to talk to God for myself. I had to believe God for myself that I would get oh. out of certain situations or that he could keep me safe while I was doing what I was doing because it was, it's a very unsafe job. Anytime you yeah. walk up to a car on a traffic stop, you don't know if you're going to live to walk away from that car. You know, yeah. so my faith grew um, as I was working as a street cop. 
And I, I, I credit that job for really um, causing me to hone in on my relationship with God because of the things that I was faced with. Um, you know, and of course, my parents grounding me in that I, I knew who to turn to and whose I was while I was in that, that you know, um, very remote day-to-day basis. Yes, environment, so. God bless you. I mean, cause I don't know if I could do it. I'm not kidding you. Um, I, I used to be a CNA. So that means basically you wipe butts and you take care of people, right? And I know people say, oh, I couldn't do it. You know, but guess what? I loved it. I met the grandmother I never had, the, the, the sister I always wanted, the father that God just sent me, you know, um, through doing that job. So I know what you're saying. It's like, and 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 my faith was there too, because I felt like I was working for God, you know, as I'm maybe putting some rouge on some little old lady that, you know, hadn't had rouge on in 20 years, you know? Um, so, but my point was, when you do a job and somebody else says, oh, I could never do that. It's real. I don't know if I could have done what you did because I'd be, of course, I, I love God. I know God. I, I fear God. I'm, I'm, I know God's everything. But I don't know if I'd be able to do that. How did you, I know you asked God to help you every day, I'm sure. But what were the answers that you got, you know, from him? You know, you I, really, I really can't recall specific answers, but I can say this. Um, Police work is a calling, and you will quickly find out who's not called by their actions. Yeah, because I see that in CNA work too. Yes, at the end of the day, you're a servant to the community. And while you may have to enforce, your main job is to serve, protect and serve. And so I took that to heart. And so the love of Christ, I believe, came working through me as I showed the love for the people in the community that I worked in. Because although I was in a position where I was there to enforce the law, I was able to develop some great relationships with the people in the community and the respect level that came. It got to a point where gangbangers would get arrested and they would tell the officer who's arresting them to call me and have me to come and transport them to jail because they trusted me and didn't wow. trust the officer who arrested them because I built those relationships. And the way I went about it was, you know, as a young officer, remember I was only 22 when I became an officer. And so wow. as a young officer, they tried me. The streets tried me because they yeah. want to break they you. you were free. They knew you were free. <laughs> they want to break you. And yeah. so my whole thought process, and I would always say this, it's not personal, it's business. Now, if we come across each other, I'm going to do my job. I'm not going to do anything that's going to um, put my job in jeopardy. But at the, no same time, right, at the same time, I'm not going to do anything that's going to put you in harm's way because I'm still here to serve. Just because I arrest you or I have to write you a ticket doesn't mean I have to be mean to you. 
Now, if you take it to the next level, let's be clear, I can handle myself and I will. However, Uh it's always with the intention to be safe and to protect not only myself, but to protect you because I don't want to, I don't want to hurt you either. So because I went about my job with that attitude, I was able to develop relationships with people who were, I mean, downright, I mean, some of the major drug dealers in the city, some of the major gangbangers in the city, they knew me by name. They had my cell number and they would call me if something was going on. You know, I could break cases that other people couldn't break because people trusted me to give me information. So it was just about, and then being able to to just, you know, let them know that you don't have to live a life like this. Because yeah. a lot of times the people that I came in contact with, they, they had no hope. A lot of times the dope dealer doesn't have hope in making yeah. money any other way. So that's why he becomes a dope dealer. Now right. that's really what he wants to do. Because at the right. end of the day, he's always got to worry about somebody kicking his door in, whether it's the next dope dealer or the police. And so when you right. start to talk to them and you learn about them, because I always took into account that these are human beings with real issues. And I now, wait, always- hold on, hold on one second. Now, let me just sum this up for you. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. Uh-huh. Because of your faith, you kept your humanity on the forefront amen yes Yes. okay that's how you did such an excellent job okay i see so all you cops out there listen to this okay you don't have to become rock hard to do your job you can do your job and still have humanity i'm sorry continue oh definitely definitely humanity should be in the forefront And at the end of the day, I understand I did that job for a long time. I understand none of us want to go home to our family in a body bag. But at the same time, we have to know how to how to treat people. And so de-escalation is is what I went into every situation thinking that that was going to be what I wanted to do is de-escalate the situation. However, every situation, you may not be able to do that. There's always exceptions to the rule. And you do what you have to do so that you can go home alive. However, um, one of the things I tell young officers all the time today, you cannot react out of fear. Fear, you're going to have that in that job. We're human. You're going to get into situations where it's fearful. But fear cannot drive your decision-making process. And that's what gets a lot of officers in trouble. And that's why you have officers shooting people that they shouldn't have shot, because they allow fear to be the driving force of making the decision as to what to do next. Sometimes you have to commit to the, to the actual physical fight. Doesn't, it doesn't require a gun. And you might just lose. And you have to be okay with getting your butt whooped. But guess what? We're both going home at the end of the day. So yeah. I'd rather go home than to kill somebody. Um, and, and unfortunately, sometimes it comes down to uh, that where you may have to use deadly force in order to save your own life. But for right. the most part, you look for the out before you right. go to deadly force. So uh, that humanity being forefront is is what causes you to do that, though. So. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, that makes so much sense because I think in any job you have, um, your your humanity should be there. Like you said about, um, you know, you could see that a lot of people weren't meant for that job. Um, it was the same when I was a CNA. I noticed, you know, there were some people, not all of them, but there were some people that it was just a paycheck for them, you know? And um, those elderly people that were hurting and, and broken and, and lost and, and, you know, sad, you know, because maybe they're there and they're not getting any family, you know, um, bring them a White Castle burger. You know what I mean? That's going to brighten up their day. And they used to say, oh, China, you're so funny. I am. I didn't know I was funny. You know, I was trying to be funny. But if I was, that, oh, that just melted my heart because I knew that something made them happy, you know? Now you can't be like that in your job, but still your humanity could be there. And, you know, people, like you said, and obviously they gain respect for you because they seen who you were, they seen you, they seen what type of person you were. You weren't out to, you know, make a name for yourself, hurt people, you know, ruin people's lives. They could see without anyone saying, and, and, and maybe I believe they probably seen God through you too. You know, I, that's possible. You know, maybe they didn't know God. And then they said, wow, look at this lady. She, she doesn't have to treat me like this. She could treat me like dirt because basically, you know, they could feel like dirt at that moment. And you gave them some respect and, and, you know, humanity showed them humanity. So God bless you for that. Um, my next question is, what does God mean to you? If somebody says that to you, what does what does God mean to you? Um, I mean, God is God is everything. I mean, without Him, I'm nothing. You know, uh, without Him, I have no purpose. You know, my purpose rests in God. You know, He He sent me here for a purpose, and so without Him, as far as I'm concerned, I'm I'm nothing and nobody. Um, so everything that I've accomplished in life is because he's driven me into those places for a time being, for a season to do something, pull somebody up, whatever it is, everything has been guided by him. Um, I'll tell you that when I became a police officer, it was really, it was really a project for me. I didn't think I was going to get the job. I was in college and... I was, my mom knew that I was, you know, kind of infatuated with this show. I'm about to tell, I'm about to show my age here. Cagney and Lacey, it was two oh, female yeah. police officers, because I had never really seen female police officers. And uh, my mother is a registered nurse, and at her, the um, community center where the clinic was, where she worked, there were police recruiters there, and she brought the application home to me. Now I'm in college at the time, so they didn't. She didn't think I was really gonna apply. She, she just thought I, since I was interested, she'd give it to me so I could see the information. Well, I ended up applying, and when I applied, I just applied to see what would happen and what the process was. I was more interested in the process of the hiring process because I was taking a criminal justice course, and we were discussing those things. And one thing led to another. And by the summer of 1992, the process ended with 
Um, you have a interview. You passed every part of the physical assessment, the background check. So now you're up for your interview. And I went to the interview, not even taking it serious. It, it's, it, it was a big panel interview. I, I wasn't taking it serious. I was just in there. You know, I'm saying things in there that, you know, you probably shouldn't say in an interview. Um, and they had me to go sit in the hall. And like 10 minutes later, they came and told me I had the job. So I, I, I was about to start my senior year of college that August. This was in June. So yeah. I was now I'm faced with the decision because I'm like, I really didn't think I was going to get this job. I really just wanted to know what the process was. And right. they're telling me I, I, I'm hired and the academy starts in July. So now I'm just trying to decide, do I tell my parents I'm going to take this job and drop out of college or do I just go ahead and go back to school? And after I got up enough courage <laughs> to talk to my parents, yeah. um, my father assured me that it was okay to take the job because it was more than a job. It was a career. And I could always go back to school and finish that one year. So he said, don't miss out on an opportunity that you really want just because Wise you think man. we want you to finish school next year. You can finish school later. He said, but since I was paying for it, if you quit, you know you got a job. You're responsible for that last year because I got yeah. you got sisters and brothers behind you. Yeah. <laughs> of course, my mother, on the other hand, you know, like, I'm her oldest baby, so she didn't she didn't want me to do it just out of fear, you know, for my safety, which is understandable. Right. Um, but I ended up taking the job, needless to say, uh, and I ended up going back to school while I was working and finished up that degree that they originally sent me to school for. So that's kind of how that happened. And my goal was to only do police work for five years, but God said something different. Yeah. And I was, <laughs> I was on that department for 13 years. And when I left, I, you know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something with children because I learned in police work that so many of our youth, uh, our teenagers were involved in crime um, and had been led to a life in the streets because they were unsuccessful in school. So teaching at that point was not on the radar, but I knew I wanted to work with at-risk youth. So I went to work for the state of Texas as a um as a special investigator with the child, uh, child Protective Services Division for about two years. And I found that wasn't really the area that I wanted to work in. And I started substitute teaching. And my father, who was a, an educator, uh, he told me to try substitute teaching to see if I might be interested in actually just teaching. Right. And so I did that and I went back and used my police license to work part-time as a police officer at a college police department while I tried my hand at substitute teaching. And I found that I really enjoyed working with children in that capacity and being hands-on. And that's when I decided to go and get my teachers, my Texas teacher certification, okay. went into education full-time, became a special education teacher, um, later on moved into working with dyslexia 
dyslexic students. Uh, literacy really became my thing. And I uh, did that. I worked with dyslexia students for about five years until I switched to become an instructional coach, which is what I do now um, for the same district. And I've been in education now for 15 years going on. This is my 15th year. And I just became an adjunct instructor at Texas Christian University, which is where I earned my undergrad degree from yeah. as well. Wow. Listen. You're getting ahead of me now. You are just, <laughs> you've done so many things. It's like, I got about 15 questions here. You got to slow down. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Before we get back to the Inspirational Wow Show, I want to take a moment and talk about China Myers' best-selling, gripping, heartfelt book titled A Letter to God. You can find this true life story on Amazon. Now, back to the Wow Show. When was your God moment? I'm sorry? When was your God moment? Um, and when you say God moment, do you mean when I had a, a like Full believing, full realizing, you know, just an epiphany that there's a God. And, you know, um, like you said, you kind of relied on your parents, mm -hmm. uh, you know, relationship with God. But then... You said you got your own. So how did that come about? I think, I think, um, you know, as I was working as a police officer and I can't say what specific situation really just drove my faith into me believing solely for myself and, and getting grounded. But I can say that some of those situations that I experienced let me know that if it had not been for God himself, I wouldn't be sitting here today. And so that particular job is what really opened up my faith and allowed me to really spread my wings and believe on the level that I believe now. Yeah, wow. Well, it shows, it really does. How was it being a police officer in Fort Worth? Now, you said it was very dangerous, you know, Fort yes. Worth, Texas. Um, yes. How was it? Like, you, you got to know the community. You know, you walked side by side people. Criminals got to know you by name. Mm -hmm. How was that? Was that, was that life-altering? Well, actually, for me, I think it was a lot different for most people. And I say that because I grew up in Fort Worth. And the area that I ended up working in is the same area my grandparents lived in. So I knew a lot of people in that area already. They already knew me. We grew up together as kids. And so I think that made it different for me. It was in the beginning, it was hard to balance because people don't trust the police. Right. So once I became a police officer, I was looked at as a traitor to yeah. the community. Yeah. Now, now, let's clarify that. A lot of black people don't trust the police. Right. Because of the history, right. you know. Right. But not saying, uh, and I want to clarify this also, all cops aren't bad. Right. I, I know that for a fact, and I'm sure you know it now, too, that you've experienced what you experienced. But, okay, so continue. I'm sorry. So I'm working in a predominantly black neighborhood, low-income yeah. uh, area. And like I said, my grandparents lived in that area. 
I went to school in that area when I was a young child. And so a lot of the people in the area, I, we already knew each other. Wow. Um, but like I said, because there is a lack of trust for police, I was in the beginning viewed as a traitor. So right. I really had to build those relationships to okay. let them know that, you know, I'm here to help build the community, not tear it down further. I'm not here to, you know, as they say, snitch. I'm just here to do a job to help clean up the community. And as I said before, I always told them, it's not personal, it's business. Now we all have a choice. You can go get an honest job or you can go out here and do this. Now, if you're gonna do this, understand if our jobs collide, I'm going to do mine. I'm not gonna disrespect you, but I'm gonna do my job. And you gotta respect how I put my food on my table. And so after so long, they came to respect that because I treated them with respect. Even if I had to take them to jail, I still treated them with, with respect because I would well, have you, conversations with people in the back. You were on the reel with them from the beginning. Right. And a lot of them, they knew I knew what they were doing. I could have, I could turn them in anytime I wanted to. I knew how to, you know, get them, how to get the information. But because they knew I didn't do that, I wouldn't do that. I said, it, it's all fair game. If I don't see it, I don't know about it. I can't go by what I knew as a kid or yeah. what John John told me over here because they want to get yeah. you in trouble. That's you know all circumstantial, I mean? right? It's up. Exactly. So I'm not looking for anything, but if my job calls for this, then I'm going to do my job. You right. chose that route. I chose this route. Yeah. And so they learned to respect that. There was a time when I was working in the in the Fort Worth gang unit where we came into roll call and they pulled out a list of warrants for aggravated robbery, all kinds of things. I pulled one of the warrants and it's a kid that lives in the neighborhood I used to work patrol in. I knew the whole family, him, his sister, his mom, everybody. I called his cousin and said, listen, I have a warrant for him sitting in front of me. Tell him he can turn himself in and I'll come pick him up and he can go to jail today and start the process to take care of this or they're coming to get him one way or the other. Right. In 15 minutes, the cousin called me back and said, he said, okay, go to his grandmother's house and pick him up. Wow. I went to the house. He came outside. I went to put him in the car. He said, he went to the back seat. I said, no, I'm going to put you in the front. I know you. I got you. Wow. I cuffed him, put him in the front seat, took him downtown, took him in jail, and he was able to handle his business. It was just that simple. Yeah. See, now, if that was somebody else. The relationship we had been. Right. If that was somebody else, it might have been a life loss. You know, he might have resisted. It might have been a problem. Yeah. So, you, you, well, I know they were sad to see you go. That's for sure. I know, because you probably changed that whole community. How was it being a police officer in Fort Worth? Now, you said that it basically, you got to know everybody, and you, you know, you knew a lot of people before. And when was all this? 1992, you said? I started in 1992. I graduated the academy December 21st, 1992. 
And so I worked the east side of Fort Worth, uh, one particular area known as Stop Six. Um, I worked that area from 1993, because we graduated in December. Um, worked that area from 1993 to about 1998, 99. Oh, wow. And then I went down to the police academy and worked there for a couple of years. And then I transferred to the gang unit. Now, how was it teaching? Um, you, you had to teach diversity. I know I don't want to go back over this again, but were you able to get through and penetrate, you know, and teach them about different cultures or, or was it that you were teaching them that this is what different cultures uh, go by? How did, how did that work? Well, it was a little bit of teaching, you know, how different cultures respond to law enforcement. And also um, how you cannot look at a person and tell what nationality or what race they are sometimes. You really can't. So one of the activities I had, um, I would bring pictures in of different people who may have been a mixed race or who may not have been mixed race, but they didn't look like what people thought a black person or a white person or a Mexican person should look like. Right. And I would put them up in the room and tell them to identify what the race of that per that person is. They and have a hard time doing that. Because you a lot of times you can't identify people just by how they look. So right. that's why it's important to treat everybody with respect. Um and if you if they are displaying some behaviors that you deem as disrespectful you may want to ask them where are you from right <laughs> you know how long have you been in this area because that may explain why their behavior is the way it is right communication is the key when it comes to diversity yeah yeah so i think you kind of answered this question but what made you go into education what made you start doing that well the 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 main thing was just dealing with a lot of teenagers and young adults who were in the dope game. And when I got into the gang unit and I ended up getting chosen to go to the task force and worked undercover um, with alcohol, tobacco, firearms, which is a federal agency and learning how I could, we could go in to buy drugs undercover and ask for a certain amount, right? Say I say, well, I want two grams of this and watch them actually cut two grams without measuring or weighing it. And then when I get to the property room, it's exactly what I asked for. That individual is very smart. Remember, you're dealing with chemicals, you're dealing with um, all types of things. That's science. Yeah. And so I would start talking to these people after we arrested them, of course. And yeah. I would say, how come you just didn't stick it out in school? You could use that same skill you're using here yeah. to go and be something in in the world and and live a, a comfortable life yeah. using your, your brain. And I found that a lot of them dropped out of school because they said, I just couldn't get it in school. I couldn't learn. Or, you know, they said I was special ed or, or, or and, and I just couldn't 
I just couldn't get it. So I felt like a lot of students weren't being reached and that's what was leading them to the street. They fell through the cracks. Right. And that's what kind of led me into education. Okay. Because I said, if we can save them before they get to the streets, because once they're in the streets, there's not really much I can do. I still have to make the arrest. I still got to yeah. transport them to jail. I yeah. can have that conversation with them, but I'm not, in my opinion, at that point, I wasn't really making a lot of change the way I was change. You weren't as effective. Right. So yeah. I decided, you know, it's time for me to do something different. And it ended up being education. And, yeah. and, and so you got your master's and your license in that, right? Yes. I ended up getting my master's in teaching from Louisiana. It was formerly Louisiana College. It's now um, Louisiana Christian University. Um, and I earned that back in 2012, uh, along with my teacher certification. And after that, and I just recently earned my doctorate degree in educational leadership from Walden University in um, December of 2021. Was it hard moving into the investigation department? Was that hard? Because that was totally different, right? Than what you patrolling. Well, I was actually chosen. They came and got me. They needed a black female um, for, are, are you, well, let me, let me back up. Are you asking me about, um, when you were drug investigations or are yeah. you asking about the, the drug investigation. investigation, the drug investigation, I was chosen to work for the task force. Um, I had some colleagues that I had worked with on the street before, um, that we were, I was good friends with who were working with ATF. They, they were a lot of times the federal agencies will work with the local police department because the local police department knows their city better than the feds. And right. so uh, a couple of my former colleagues that I worked with on the street were working with ATF and the conversation came up one day that they needed a black female in that unit um, to assist with the, with this major investigation that they had going on with guns and drugs and they knew my work ethic. They decided, you know, they called me up and said, hey, you want to come work with us? And I said, sure, that's a good, that's a great opportunity. Yeah. So the uh, the um, head of uh, the agent in charge over at ATF came and talked to my gang unit supervisors and they pulled me over to uh, that investigation. And I worked over there with them. That was the last place I worked before I left uh, police work. Okay, so you you worked the gang unit before the investigation, ATF? Yes, yes. Okay. I was in the gang unit when I got chosen to go to the ATF task force. What was the gang unit all about? You, I know you dealt with gangs, but what, what happened with that? What was that all about? Well, our city, especially in the 90s, we had a lot of um, activity with gangs in the east, south, and north sides of the city. And so they developed a unit just to deal with the gangs, um, to learn gang intelligence, um, to learn their their graffiti, their their language, right. uh, learn where their, their hangouts were. And so it was more intelligence. And then of course, kind of a little bit of a task force because you kind of went in and, and kind of, you know, grabbed up guys when when you were able to get that intelligence on certain crimes that they committed 
in the area in certain areas and we were able to go out and get them because we were able to do the research on them and you had to also be able to identify their apparel as well right oh yeah they wore. yeah yes. I, I i i thought that was pretty Colors, important too. um certain i mean it it went past just colors because even certain um clothing brands that they would wear sometimes would represent signify what gang they were with now as far as gangs back then and gangs today which one do you think were the worst do you think the gangs now are worse than what they were you know i really can't i can't say but i because and the reason i say that is because one i haven't i haven't been in police work in years um so i'm not abreast on you're not privy to how gangs are, you know, we're not seeing the gang activity today in our city like we saw it back then. Crime has taken a major turn in our city. Um, it, it happens to be going up, but the new police chief here is doing a great job of keeping it contained. So I can't say that it's worse, um, but I don't know anything about the gangs today so i really can't do a real comparison of today's gangs and the gangs back then all right so um here's something you started in 2008 you started a career in education now you say you work with dys dyslexic children mm -hmm. and basically you wanted to get children before they started to get in trouble mm -hmm. how did you get into all that well, I actually started with special education first, and I was at a high school. And so I worked at a at a at-risk high school. Um, it was an at-risk charter school. So all of the students at, well, not all, I would say most of the students at the school that I was at um, had been kicked out of school or they were young parents trying to work and go to school. Um, but most of the students at our school, they were not able to go to their home school because they had been kicked out for some some reason. And so being that I had went into special education, I found that a lot of my students, just like I, I learned when I was doing police work, had been kicked out of school because they were a distraction in regular school school because they felt they couldn't learn. So a lot of times children will act out, not act because out. they're just being a bad kid, but it's because they don't want people to know what they don't know or right. what they what they're struggling with. So right. I would rather you see me as a tough guy or a tough girl or get the attention this this negative way than for you to figure my peers to figure out that I can't read. And right. so that's kind of, you know, how I kind of maneuvered into that. And from there, um, because I really became to love literacy. And so that's how I kind of moved into dyslexia, dyslexia. Okay. Did you notice a lot of uh, kids uh, had that problem or you thought it was just, you know, a few kids. It's Is that a big growing problem? Than people know. Um, most people who struggle or most children who struggle with reading, there was probably because what a lot of people don't understand about dyslexia, let me back up. Okay. A lot of people don't understand dyslexia is actually hereditary. Um, dyslexia is it's and I 
told my students it's not a bad thing. Right. What it is, is your brain functions differently to the eyes. The average person's brain doesn't mean that it's something wrong with you. It means that your brain functions differently. So they need someone to help them recognize learn, it. Right. And learn how to read the way that they can get it. Yeah. You know, everybody's not going to get it like the average person. Right. And so a lot of dyslexic students are very talented when it comes to the arts. There, A lot of them are very artistic. That's one of the characteristics of dyslexic students. Mm. Um, and so working with dyslexic students, there's probably about 20% of students in a school that are dyslexic, but only maybe five to 10% are identified. Now, when did you start that job? It was 2008, right? Around 2008? Uh, no, I started that job. I started that particular position in 2016. 16. 2008 is when I first started in education as a special education teacher, just working with special ed students in the general classroom. Now, the reason why I'm asking that is because I would say probably back in the 90s, dyslexia wasn't really recognized, was it? I mean, it's becoming it more prevalent now. It was recognized, but there was not a lot of research on it. They didn't okay. know much about it. And so it wasn't until the 2000s that it really started to, you know, the research really started to build up. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of celebrities that are dyslexic. Yeah, I think I am. I really, I really do. Whoopi Goldberg is dyslexic. She talks about it all the time. Henry yeah. Winkler's dyslexic. He talks about how he struggled in school, but nobody ever knew what the problem was. It wasn't until he was an adult that they found out he was dyslexic. However, these people are actors. And if yeah. you know anything about acting, you have to memorize lines. <laughs> yeah, there's so, a lot of reading. That's right. Tom yeah. Cruise is another person who's dyslexic. So I would always tell my students, listen, your memory is like, you can memorize. Uh, hey, if people can, I can't memorize things like that. And a lot of dyslexic people have, you know, what do they call it? Photogenic memory. Yeah. So they're very talented. Uh, you know, artistically, they're very talented. And so the thing is basically just teaching them the skills that they need so that they can be successful with reading because they don't read and they don't put words and sounds together like we are taught to do it. There's a way that we have to break it down for them. They will be able to read depending on the severity of um, their case. However, they have to be taught how to put those strategies in place in order to be successful. So how successful were you with teaching them, you know, and giving them uh, basically a new way of thinking? How, how successful were you? Um, I, you know, I think it was very successful because once those students started to get the interventions that they needed, they started to grow academically and not just in reading, but in every every class. Um, and what made me feel good is when one of my students came to my class one day and she said, oh, my God, Miss Young, I tried this in my other class and it actually works. So she had an aha moment. That yeah. We weren't just pulling her out of class to put her in this small group, but we were actually giving her strategies that she could use 
anywhere and right. she saw that they work. And when I tell you that young lady flourished like never before. And so mm. once she had that aha moment, it was just, it was like everything was new to her. Yes. And so it not only did it happen to her, but there were other students that have stories that can say that once they got those strategies, they were able to, you know, school became a lot easier and a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah. So you basically helped them to succeed. You gave them the tools to help them to succeed. Because who knows what would have happened, you know, before that. Um, so anyway, um, let's see. Man, I just have so many questions here. I'm trying to figure out the best ones to pick. Because <laughs> you, you, have, you have so many things that you did. It's crazy. What made you start your, your foundation? You started a foundation for literary services. What made you do that? How well, do you talk to that? Well, I'll tell you, it's actually not a foundation. It's a, it's a tutoring business. Okay. And what led me to that was I saw- and Wait, it's online, right? Yes, it's an okay. online tutoring service um, called Young Scholar Literacy Services. Um, and I actually started that because I saw that there were so many parents um, that we would have parent conferences with in school about their children who did not understand the educational processes when they met with teachers. And I saw that sometimes educators can talk over a parent's head and parent will leave that meeting still confused and not know how to help their child. Uh, parents would go to some of these corporate tutoring places and come back uh, and meet with us just, you know, feeling defeated because they couldn't afford the tutoring um, or assistance for their child. And so I saw a need there for middle-class people who wanted to help their child, but couldn't afford what a lot of these corporate companies charge to tutor. A lot of times these corporate companies are going to charge you for all these various assessments before they even begin to tutor your child. Wow. Those assessments can cost anywhere from 500 to $2,000. Well, if you're a middle-class family and you have money for that. you're to put food on the table and you want to help your baby, but you can't come up with $500 to $2,000 to do an assessment, and then they're telling you that the tutoring service is going to be about $120 an hour. That's wow. a lot of money. Yeah. So I decided that it would be a good idea to hire Texas certified teachers. So these are teachers, these are teachers that are working in school district currently who understand Texas school systems, who understands what the state of Texas requires for our students on each grade level, hire them to tutor and charge half of what these corporate agencies charge and wow. never ask them to pay for an assessment because as teachers, we know how to do an assessment ourselves. Make that a part of the process. Wow. Um, at no extra charge. And not only that, a lot of the assessments that these corporate tutoring companies are doing, what parents don't know is they can get those from their school for free. Yeah. And so my teachers can walk these parents through the processes of getting their child assessed through wow. the public school system for free, provide us with that information, and then we'll take off and tutor your child at a, wow. at a rate that is affordable. And so that's 
We've been doing that for the last five years, since 2017. We're coming up on six years in May. Wow. And uh, we are Better Business Bureau accredited with an A-plus rating. And it's been working great. When we first started, we were going into the home. It was a home service. So the teacher would actually go to the home yeah. and tutor your child. However, when COVID hit, we had to pivot in order to stay alive. So what we did was we went, we, we pivoted to online tutoring um, and it's still one-on-one. -on -one. It's one teacher, one student. So your child is getting that one-on-one -on -one service. That teacher is working with your child only and working with them on their specific needs. And we see so much academic growth with that now, program. Is this global? Is this, uh, you know, countrywide? Where, where could people find it? It's, well, it's actually, we only tutor in the state of Texas because all of our teachers are Texas certified teachers. Right, and there's um, certain laws, right, for there. And there's certain our, certain laws for Texas that, you know. Right, our state requires certain things. So we only service the state of Texas. However, if anybody wants to go and look us up, we are, um, our website is youngscholarliteracy.com. Um, we're also on, on Twitter at Young Scholar LLC, Young Scholar Literacy LLC. And so they can find us in those two places. Yeah, because they might have some questions or, you know, whatever, right? Yes, we also, we also have a Facebook page, Young Scholar Literacy Services, so. Awesome. I was going to ask you uh, for, you know, any information on that that you might have. That'd be great. All right. So uh, what my last question and not least, what does your job? Texas Christian University, what do you do there? What is your job? I am an adjunct professor there. Um, this is my first semester. I just started that job uh, back in August. August 22nd was my first class. Congratulations. I a master's level um, education course. And so I'm loving it. This is my first college course that I'm teaching. I love it. Um, I love teaching adults. And I keep saying, you know, it might be pulling me away from K through 12. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I teach what, what exactly are you teaching? You're teaching the Bible, of course, right? I'm sorry. Are you teaching the Bible, right? No, I'm teaching an education course. I'm an education instructor with the School of Education. So it's all education. It's a it's a master's level education course, uh, motivating and managing classroom behaviors. So we talk about those um, behaviors you might might experience with children who may have social and emotional needs. And we talk about how um, how to manage those in the classroom so that they can actually teach with, with little distraction. Fine, okay. Well, listen, <laughs> I am so amazed by you. God is really, really pushing, shaking, and moving in your life. That's for sure. Thank you so much. Man, I mean, you are, I said it on LinkedIn. I don't know if you've seen my post with your picture. But you are really an inspiring woman. You really are. And I am urging young women to come and listen to this show and check this out because they can learn so much from you. I'm telling you, you have given so much back. I mean, God is really, really shining through you. And and I can't say anymore. I can't. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. You I, I, have done so much. 
I, I have to give it to my parents because I have to give it up to them because I mean, they instilled giving into us. It was yeah. our, 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 I mean, that's all my parents ever instilled in us is about giving. My father was an educator. He was a college professor. Uh, later went into, after retiring from that, went into K through 12. My mother's a registered nurse. So we're all about serving. I mean, service. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, and, and just giving. My father was a pastor. It's just, I mean, and that's what he taught. Give so that the next person can be better. And one of the things he always he always said to myself, and I'm getting emotional because I just lost him. Oh, I'm sorry, right? I remember you said <laughs> but he was an amazing the, person, huh? One of the things he always said to us is if you don't do anything greater than me, then I have failed you as a person. Oh, oh my goodness. And so that's always been my driving force is to do those things that he's, he's instilled in me and to give back so that the next person can have a life that's better than mine. So it's not about us. It's no. about the next person. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I do the show and I try to get people like you. I actually beg people like you because we need to see that. You know, as women, as black women, you know, we need to see women who don't make excuses. They do what they got to do. They get it done. They help people because that's what we're here for. Right. We're here to give back. We're here to help. We're, we're here to learn, you know, and um, I try to get people like you because we need more people like you. God bless you. And thank you so much again for being here. Thank you for having me. And, and as I said before, the goal is to leave this earth a better place than it was when I came in. That's my whole goal. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And I think you're doing it. I, I can, I think you have. You've touched so many lives over your course of so many years. You, you've just, I know your apathy is going to be out the door. <laughs> <laughs> like, are they done saying all the stuff this person <laughs> has done for other people? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Wow, that was a great show. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Well, this is The Wow Show, and I'm your host, China Myers. Thank you for being here. And I want to say thank you. I was lost and you found me I was dead inside and you breathed into me And you brought these bones alive I want to say thank you Thank you for saving me Thank you for loving me unconditionally with open arms